think we have some folks going to help our children with Children's Church. So uh, do I see anybody back there? Yeah, they're in the back back there. And so kids, you can head to the back and they'll escort you downstairs and have a good half hour together. And we are going to pray here in the sanctuary as they go and get ready to open the Bible. Our Father, we are grateful for your presence here. And we thank you that you have come to us. You knew, Lord, that without your coming, there would be no hope for any of us. And so we are so thankful that you fulfilled all of what was prophesied in the Old Testament. And you came to be our Savior, to forgive us of our sins, to cleanse us and make us your own children. And as we look at your word now, we pray you'll speak to each of our hearts. Help us to have open minds and open hearts. We believe your word is truth, and we trust you now to take it and apply it to each of our lives. And Lord, if there are decisions we need to make here today that have eternal consequence, help us to not leave this place until we've done what you lay upon our hearts to do, to give our lives to you to let you forgive us and change us, and as Christians, to let you renew us and make us what you want us to be. Bless our children and those who now also share your love with them, and we pray your will be done. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll turn to Matthew chapter 1 for a few moments. We're going to focus on verse 23, but let me read verses 18 through 25, Matthew chapter 1. As we think about truths from the first Christmas. Now, of course, the truths from the first Christmas are true every Christmas. That's the reality. And so what we look at about what happened at the first Christmas, still true today. And the same Lord who came and was born in Bethlehem, he is still Lord of all. And he is here in this very room so follow with me as I read Matthew 1, beginning at verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated, God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took to him his wife, and did not know her, till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. What single person 
was the greatest person of all time, and at the same time, the greatest teacher of all time, the greatest leader of all time, and the person, the only person who ever lived a perfect life? Well, the answer to all of those, of course, is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the single greatest figure in all of history. You don't even have to be a Christian to agree with that. You can look at history and see the impact that that single life. If you don't believe Jesus was God who became a man, but he was just a man, he only lived to be 33. He never had any position of authority in this world. And yet, he literally changed the world forever. Now, I would submit to you that the reason that that is the case is he wasn't just a man. That that life that was born in Bethlehem was God himself who came. And he came because you and I, without him, without his help, would have had no hope of ever going to heaven. Could never be forgiven of our sins, whether it's one sin or a million sins. We're all sinners. And we can't erase that fact. But Jesus, he stepped into this world and took our place. Took our sin upon himself. And it all began when he came in Bethlehem. The first Christmas. It actually began from before the foundation of the world. The plan of God. So that we might have life everlasting. There are three things we're going to think about today that we can say about the first Christmas. They're true for this day and every Christmas. There are many other things we can say, and we will, over the course of the next few weeks, look at many other things. But these three really are, are central. They're key. And I hope that you grasp what these are communicating. The first is that the first Christmas was an intervention. It was an intervention. You know, sometimes if a person has a, a serious problem of some kind, it may be an addiction, it could be some sort of a terrible uh, problem in their life, they're overcome by it, you'll hear people say, we need to have an intervention, meaning we need to get people to gather around that person and basically confront them with the fact that there's something terribly wrong. And without help, without a change, destruction is going to come. Well, the first Christmas was an intervention because God intervened in our behalf. He came into this world in the person of Jesus Christ. The birth of our Lord Jesus differs in one huge respect from every other birth. His life did not begin with his birth or even with the virginal conception. That was not the beginning of his life. The Bible says he existed from before the foundation of the earth. He has always existed. In fact, the Bible says that everything that was made was made by him, by the Lord Jesus. And so, you see, Jesus, he didn't, his story didn't begin the moment that he was conceived and then when Mary gave birth to him. That's the moment in which God entered the world. 
in human history, in the person of Jesus Christ. We call it an advent, don't we? You hear the term advent used. And the word advent means a coming. And so the first advent, the birth of Jesus Christ, that was not the beginning of who Jesus, the pre-incarnate Christ, was and always will be. No, he had already pre-existed as God. But that was the moment he stepped into flesh. The incarnation, you hear that theological word used. That means God became man. God became incarnate in flesh, took on flesh. And so the birth of Jesus Christ was the unfolding of God's plan of salvation in which he would come to bear our sin, to do for us what we could not do so that we might be forgiven and have everlasting life. Jesus didn't come just so we could sing beautiful songs. We love to sing beautiful Christmas songs, but that's not why he came. We sing the beautiful songs because he came out of love for you and for me and for all people. We sing the songs we sing, and we worship him because of what he did, why he came and what he accomplished. He came to intervene on your side so that you might be forgiven of sin. Many scriptures bear this out. Here are just a few. John 1, the first two verses. In the beginning was the Word, meaning Jesus, and the Word was God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Excuse me. The same was in the beginning with God. He preexisted, see, before He came to take on flesh. And then verse 14 of John 1, And the Word became flesh. That's what happened in Bethlehem. That's what happened when Jesus was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, and then Mary gave birth. The Word became flesh and tabernacled among us, dwelt among us in flesh. And so with Jesus you have, He didn't stop being God and become a man. He wasn't just a man and not God. He was fully God and fully man in the same person. And that is the mystery of the incarnation. The intervention of God in this life. And he did that so that he could become the perfect sinless sacrifice for the sin of the world. One sacrifice without blemish, without spot, perfect to satisfy the sin of all people. To pay for it. And in doing so then to be able to remove it, the stain from your life and from mine. And so that's why we talk about we have to be saved by the power of God. Jesus has made that possible because he gave his very life for you. And it all began when he intervened. He came into this world. Galatians 4, 4 and 5, explaining this, said, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law to redeem them that are under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. You can be adopted into the family of God by giving your life to this Jesus who came and gave his life for you. 
2 Corinthians 8 9. For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. He humbled himself by coming, didn't he? He left the throne of glory and he entered this world not as a king or as a monarch. Or as a military leader, he came into this world as a humble servant because he came to serve you and me. And through his poverty, through his humiliation, we become rich. We are lifted up because of what he did for us. Philippians describes this attitude that Jesus had. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in the fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And that was his, that was how he came. He came with great humility to be a servant of all. He did not come to be in Bethlehem. Jesus already was. He just is. He is the great I am. But the great I am came in flesh, took on flesh so that he might give his life for you and me. So as you hear all these beautiful Christmas songs, and you hear people talking about the Advent, the first Advent, just remember Jesus intervened for you. He came for you. God entered into human history personally in the person of Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean God hasn't been active all through history. He created all that is. And he's always been at work in this world. But when Jesus was born, when he, was, when he came into this world, God personally stepped out of heaven and stepped into this world as a man so that he could take your place and mine. And then secondly, the first Christmas came through a miraculous virgin birth. You hear the virgin birth talked about. And it is a central belief of the Christian faith. And it does require you to believe that the miraculous is possible. Now, if, <clears throat> if you have trouble believing the virgin birth, you'll have trouble believing anything else that Jesus did, won't you? I mean, uh, if you believe that Jesus died on the cross, one man bearing the sin of the whole world in himself... And he was able to pay for the sin of all people. And if you believe he rose from the dead, then you shouldn't have any problem believing in the virgin conception and birth either. But it does require that you believe that God is all-powerful. That he can do all things. And of course, if you believe that there is a God, how can you not believe he's all-powerful, right? So these people who claim to be Christian and yet deny all of the central tenets of the Christian faith simply because they can't fully explain it or because they can't believe in the miraculous, I think they just have a problem with God. 
Their problem is they just don't believe in God. Because if you believe that there is a, an almighty God, then none of the other is impossible to believe. In fact, doesn't the scripture say, when Mary said, how can this thing be? Didn't the response to her come, with God all things are possible? Boy, Mary had it right. How in the world is this possible when she was told, you're going to give birth to a child? Because she was betrothed to Joseph, which in that culture was a very serious commitment. It was almost like marriage. It was as if they were married. In fact, they referred to each other as husband and wife, but they did not come together for that year. There was no sexual relationship. And so when Mary was told, you are going to conceive and you will give birth to a child, she said, how in the world can this be? Well, the only way it could be was by the Holy Spirit, by the Spirit of God, the power of God caused her to become with child. And that's the virginal conception. Jesus, you see, was conceived by the power of God because he was God. And this is how God chose to enter into human history. And when she gave birth, uh, she gave birth like any other woman gives birth, I believe. It was not like the birth was something that was different. But it's the fact that she had never had any sexual union. She was a virgin when she gave birth. And that child that she gave birth to was God who took on human flesh. We know the scripture later talks about Jesus having half-brothers and sisters. They're mentioned in scripture. And so it's not that Mary was a perpetual virgin. She did not never have sexual relations, but she had never had sexual relations when Jesus was born. And that made it a miraculous birth. And that's for several reasons. Because the virgin birth reveals that Jesus Christ is God. It's the only way that he could have been born. He is divine. The angel said to Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest shall overshadow you. And therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Not just a man. Fully God and fully man in the same person. The virgin birth displays the power of God. The birth of Jesus was not accomplished through the normal human process, but through the power of God himself. And as we said, that's why the angel said, for with God nothing is impossible. That's still true today. With God nothing is impossible. In your life, no matter what your life has been and what it is today, you may think that there's just too much water under the bridge and you're too far down the road. And God, he may love some people, but he doesn't love me. That's not true. With God, nothing is impossible. His love for you was so great that he went to all this trouble so that you might have a relationship with him. And he knows you by name. He has a plan for your life. Whether your life is another five minutes or 50 years on this earth. He has a plan for the rest of your days and minutes here. And then for all of eternity. And you must give your life to Jesus. 
to experience what he has planned for you. That's why he came. The virgin birth declares the purpose of God. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And so the birth of Jesus displays his purpose. She will bring forth a son, as we read earlier, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The very name Jesus means Savior, doesn't it? Savior. That's what he came to accomplish for you. That was his purpose in coming. And so the birth of Jesus was always planned and designed to end at the cross of Calvary with him bearing your sins and mine and then with an empty tomb overcoming sin and death and hell. Jesus was born of a virgin. He lived a sinless life. He died on the cross to buy you back, to buy me back from sin, to redeem us so that we would have everlasting life. And then finally, the first Christmas declares that God is with us. That name, Emmanuel, means God with us. Matthew here that we read quoted Isaiah the prophet as saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being translated, being interpreted is God with us. Can it be said any plainer? And so again, those who would deny that Jesus was God who became a man, you just can't take the Bible seriously and, and think that. Now, if you just reject it all, at least that's intellectually honest and consistent. But if you take the Bible seriously at all, as the Word of God, it just says right here, the name means God with us. He is God who took on flesh. And the great truth of Christmas is that God has come to be with us. God is not just this distant being out there, way out there somewhere, who maybe cre set things in motion and then he just walked away. No, he, he is so, so concerned about you and your life that he intervened, he came to be with you. And Jesus, when you give your life to him, he comes to live within you. And he will never leave you nor forsake you, is what the Bible says. He's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. You can always depend upon him. He is the faithful and true one. Jesus, who came in flesh, is the revelation of God. We don't have to wonder what God is like anymore. We know who God is. He has revealed the Father to us. Look at Jesus in the Scripture. Look at how He treated people. Look at what He did with His life. You see who God is when you look at Jesus. If you have seen me, Jesus said, you have seen the Father. I and the Father are one. And so He is the complete revelation of God to us. 
Jesus, the one who came in flesh, embodies the greatest power ever known. God with us. And so we don't have to try to get through this life on our own strength. The power of God is there to forgive us, to save us, and then to walk with us and empower us to live for him. Jesus, who took on flesh, came on the greatest mission ever known to man. He said, I, the Son of Man, have come to seek and to save that which was lost. Lost in sin. He came to seek you out, to seek me out. And he is available for all who will trust in him. And he is the bearer of the greatest gift ever bestowed. The giving and receiving of gifts at Christmas. You can go back and trace back all kinds of, you know, things that happened in Europe and people and how did we come to give gifts. But the bottom line is it all goes back to Bethlehem when God gave the greatest gift ever given. Himself. And that's where this, quote, Christmas spirit comes from. Because God himself is the author of that gift. And there is no greater gift that could ever be given than the gift of life. He will forgive your sin and come into your life and give you life everlasting. A quality of life on this earth as long as you breathe on this earth. And then everlasting life for all of eternity in his presence. That can be yours because Jesus came. And so as we kick off this Christmas season, I hope that all through this month ahead, you will give thanks to God for what he has done for you. And if you have not given your life to Jesus, I hope you'll do it today. Receive him. Trust him. Believe him. When he said, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you will call on his name and just say, Jesus, I need your help. Thank you for coming for me, for dying for me. I ask you to forgive my sin. Please come into my life. If you'll do that, he will. And then the greatest gift ever given will become yours for all of eternity. One last thought from Luke 2.34. You know, Simeon, he's not usually on the Christmas cards. Uh, the old man. But he had it right. He said something we should be confronted with. With this intervention of Jesus coming into the world. He said, behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel. This child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel. Jesus, you see, he knew would be the great dividing line of history. The Messiah had come. And he had been privileged to know that. And this Jesus, he is either going to be the greatest downfall of your life or he will be the one who will cause you to rise again. If you reject him, there is no hope. There is nothing but eternal darkness. That's what Jesus said. 
Either you're for him or you're against him. You either rise or you fall on the basis of what you do with this child who came. But the great news is you can rise. As surely as he rose again from the dead, when you receive Christ into your life, he lifts you up. He raises you up and gives you life eternal. I hope this Christmas it's all about letting Jesus lift you up, adopt you into his family, renew you as a Christian, and help you and me that we might live for him. The truths of Christmas, they're still true today. They will always be true because the child born in Bethlehem is the everlasting, eternal God with us. Will you pray with me? Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for coming to intervene for us. There may be someone here today, Lord, who has thought long and hard about giving their life to you. And they still may have a lot of questions. But help them, Lord, to see that what really matters, what matters most of all is that you came for them. You loved them. You died for them. You rose again for them. And now you offer to come and live in their life. May no one walk out of here today turning away from your love and grace. We pray that in this time of decision now that we will all do what you lay upon our hearts to do and that we will be sure we're ready to stand before you someday based on our relationship with Jesus. Lord, we pray that you'll convict us, convince us, lead us now and help us to follow you. And we will give you the praise for what you do in our hearts. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing our invitation hymn. I'll be standing up front to receive you to pray with you, to help in any way that I can. The question is, what does God want you to do? That's really all that matters. What does God want you to do this morning, publicly or privately? He may want you to publicly profess your faith in Him. And this is the place, this is the hour. You come, and you will be with people who are going to rejoice if you do that. You may need a church home. Maybe God's leading you here. Whatever the Lord wants you to do. May he have his way as we sing together.